1: Left my concealer at home, but I wore my heels. Um, uh, thanks again, worship team. That was awesome. It's really special. Uh, I think this is a great opportunity to, I know we've talked a lot about Wannabon, but a great opportunity even just now to even just acknowledge um, uh, those who are responsible for organizing it again. I just want to say thanks again for those individuals. Like the risk that you took to, to pull that off. It had never been done before, but it blessed so many people. So we thank you again for your contribution. Yeah, we can give a hand for that. Also... Uh, a big thank you as well um, to, to those of you, uh, actually I would just say just this community in general. Um, so yeah, uh, our daughter uh, Naomi was uh, diagnosed with type 1 diabetes and we just kind of put it out there for people to pray. And and so this is an opportunity for me to even just say on behalf of our family, just to say thank you so much to all of you who are joining along with us in prayer. I know it's kind of cliche to say it sometimes, but uh, you know, we did feel people were praying for us, you know, we felt the energy of that, even in the midst of something that seemed just kind of an impossible task in the moment. And so thank you for your prayers. Um, but thank you also to those who reached out, um, you know, uh, personally and in person to, uh, to, to care for us in that way. So again, thanks so much to you individuals. Um, well, my name is, is, is Robin. I'm Robin Antoine and I'm one of the pastors here at new life. And if you're joining us online for the first time, Say happy hello to you. Everybody here, can you say hi to everyone who's online? Hi! Can you, maybe you can hear that, I'm not sure, but they just said hi to you. So we love you guys. And I am ringing quite a bit. Should I move back or? Can you guys hear that or no? Yes. Yeah, okay. Maybe I'll move back a bit. It's just, I'm so powerful. This that voice. You know, Greg is hard to follow when it comes to speaking out louder in person, right? Because he's got that big voice, so I've been working hard at that. Um, well, yeah, like, I brought this. Does anybody remember the... <laughs> yeah, you can have a laugh for a second. Does anybody here remember the cassette tape? I don't remember the cassette tape very well. Uh, I am a 90s kid. I grew up in the 90s, but I was born in the 80s. Anybody 80s born? Can we get some, some amens? And uh, we grew up with these suckers, uh, which were cassette players and okay kids who were born in the 2000s, I'm sorry. But this is how we used to listen to music. And it used to come in this, like this, like in this little casing. And the music was on this thing called a tape Okay, and the cassette would hold the tape, and then there's like a little needle inside of this box, and then you'd put it inside, you close it up, and you press play.
0: Hi, hey, this
1: is good. Ever... It's out of batteries. Not gonna be able to hear anything. <laughs> but we put this little thing in there and. And you could listen to music and i know it's like you guys get music all the time like on your phones whenever you want it and and i'm so happy for your for your generation but those of us who grew up with this we had to slave through this and if you wanted to listen to something a song that you wanted to listen to over again you had to sorry kids you may not get this but you rewind the tape so that you get back to the song you wanted to hear and sometimes you might even go too far and you would have to listen to a song you didn't want to listen to and Please, anybody else here who understands, you understand. You understand. Now, this little thing is really cool because it actually has, like, a record function, too. So, like, you could record something onto your tape. Now, for those of you who also grew up in the 90s, you should remember that you could listen to the radio and put a tape in your tape deck and hit the record button, and you could record whatever was playing on the radio onto your tape deck. And, kids, that was called pirating. (laughs) Way back in the 90s, you still hear me? Oh my goodness. Some people would make their own remixes, their own, you know, of all the stuff that they did. I know you guys know that. But this one here is like, you could talk into this thing and then you could hear yourself talk. Hello Walmart shoppers, there's a new sale today at aisle six, right? Like that's basically, it was pretty awesome. You could record your voice, so cool. Um we got this for our girls because we wanted them to listen to Adventures in Odyssey. If you remember Adventures in Odyssey, anybody. This is nostalgia corner. You know, you could trust me for that. Right? And you could and you could listen to this stuff. And the thing is that like these really like sweet stories about family and Jesus and Jesus. And and basically like it's a great way of just kind of entertaining the kids for a little bit, and actually a great way of putting them to sleep. Not because it's boring necessarily, but because they just kind of start listening and they fall asleep. So we got this for them, and I thought this is such a great little tool. But it got me thinking that each and every one of us, we have one of these. Everybody does. You're like, no, I don't own one of them. Well, maybe some of you still own them. If you still do, you can raise your hand if you still have a tape deck at home. But in our souls, we all have something like this. You know... I used to grow up with crippling thoughts about myself. I shouldn't say I used to. I should say that I still have crippling thoughts about myself. We sing songs about how I am a child of God. For a brief moment when we worship together, we have an opportunity to break through the noise of the tape that's playing in our heads over and over again about how we are not worthy to be called children of God, how we are filthy, unwanted failures who have proved themselves to be filthy and unwanted failures over and over again. And I want to say that I don't still have that sound in my head, that the songs that I sing on a Sunday morning, I believe them all the time. But is that true? Is that true for all of you here? No, because we still struggle with voices that remind us. I'm not saying just people who tell us this, but but voices like our own voice in our own minds and in our own souls reminding us of how weak and powerless and filthy, how unwanted we are, how we either are too much or too too little for what our needs are. And the thing is, is that we all have this tape going on in the background of our thinking. And much like our girls, kind of lulls us to sleep. We just get used to the sound of it. It, You know, it, it sedates us into believing something that's not true. And one of our girls, I mean, Haley, our oldest, likes to, you know, when the tape is done, when she's going to sleep, she likes to come out and likes to flip the tape. When I thought about that, you know, that's sort of like a new day. You know, I might get up today and feel, you know, like, get up today and not feel great about myself and then come and worship and feel like, Oh man, that's awesome. And the message was great. You know, and Ross really inspired me and joy gave a prophetic word and encouraged my heart. And now, now I can face the day, anything is possible. And then the next morning flip the tape. It's the same tape again. You are unwanted. You're unworthy of love. You will never be secure. Your search for belonging will never be satisfied because you will never belong. A lot of us have this tape going over and over again. The enemy loves to record new stuff onto that tape for us. It doesn't record new things about who we are. To take an event in your life, opportunity when you failed, opportunity when you sinned, to add new information to that tape. And every time you flip it, it doesn't change, it's the same information. I had an event in my life when I was very young, I must've been about five or six or so, got really upset, I was under a lot of stress from home, and I got upset at a cousin of mine and pushed him down, and um, I remember my grandmother looked at me and she gave me a look that, without saying anything, if some of you people know this, maybe as parents because you, you've given the look, <laughs> But even as a child, you know you've received this look of what is wrong with you. You are so bad. And it took years, maybe it taken up until maybe about two years ago, not even, even less than that, for me to come out from under that lie that was not even spoken over me, but it was a look that made me believe something about myself. For me to step back and realize, you know what, I, even as a child, I could have mercy on myself. There was nothing wrong with me. You know, I, I reacted because of stresses that were going on in my life, and I didn't know how to express my emotions because I was a child. But even as a child, when I believed that, it got added to the tape. Now I am near the 40s. Okay. You know, that tape still plays in my head. You're a bad boy. You know why you failed at this, you know why you failed at that, you know why your your wife is upset, you know why your children are upset. It's because you are a bad boy, you're a bad husband, a bad father. Listen, guys, I'm talking about myself here, but I'm hoping that you can put yourselves in my shoes right now. And I trust that you can. But there were events in your life where the enemy took an opportunity through something that happened to record something new about who you were, and he added it to the tape, and it gets flipped. Morning after morning after morning after morning. You know, we've been taught something in the church. We, you know, we like to teach that. You know, Jesus takes the tape out and he throws it away. See you later, tape. Then he puts in a new tape, a new tape that says, "You're beloved and lovely and honorable." But I think, I think there's. I think we're falling short of something there because the truth is, is that what is doing that is indwelling sin. What is reminding us of those things is called the flesh. And we've talked about it multiple times here in our congregation. But that thing's not going anywhere. It's called the flesh because it's part of your body. It's something that we inherited from Adam when he sinned. It's a disease, it's a parasite, it's a virus, it's inside your body. That perpetually has its own desires and its own functions to bring death to you. It make you feel awful, and this thing's not going anywhere until we die. We get our new bodies, right? We get our new resurrected bodies. That's why it's so important that we we accept the truth about Jesus' resurrection. Is why it's so important that we we have hope about heaven because we will get new bodies and we'll be relieved of this tape. But in the meanwhile, it's not going anywhere. It's with us. It's important that we sing songs like "I am a child of God." I'm not a slave to fear and dare i say i'm not sure if jesus is really upset with the tape i'm not sure if he is because there's something about the pain that we receive in this world that makes us available to receive truth from jesus can i get an amen to that there is, a, there is something so important for us to understand about the sufferings that we experience in this life, the things that come at us, because when we say no to them, when we say, I need this to be resolved so that I can be a good Christian, I need so-and-so to forgive me so that I can love God, I need this sexual need to be satisfied in my life, otherwise I will never be able to really trust God. I can act like a Christian but have disappointment and frustration in my heart towards God because there are things that I am expecting of Him to solve and to take care of that He is not doing it. And so I come short in my experience of knowing Jesus in His sufferings when I do that. Sometimes as believers, we have to say yes to the pain. Not necessarily saying we become victims, but we say, There is a purpose to this. There's a purpose to the experience that I had as a child. You know what it did to me? It made me so desperate to be known by God that when I came of the age to understand the love of God and the gospel in full, we heard about the gospel as children. You knew about Jesus. You knew about the crucifixion. Some of you became believers in a a church where people told you the truth about who he was. And you learned about him. But was that enough? No, hold on. Was that enough? No. No, it wasn't enough. Because you needed to get to know him. And there's something significant about suffering and pain in our lives. Because it brings us to a place where we realize our dependency on Jesus to drown out the noise of the tape. When we press into him in this way, this is how we become believers. Like, this is how we how we grow in grace. Uh, I don't have this up here on the screen, but Philippians 3, verse 10 says this: that I may know, this is Paul talking, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, and, and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Paul is saying this from prison to the Philippians. I I share in his suffering. This is how I come to know him. And, And that is the whole goal. I mean, Jesus came that we might know the father through him so that we could be one. It's all about knowing him. But sometimes we come short of that because we say no to the pain. We say no to the suffering. We say no to the circumstances that are uncomfortable in our lives. And we say this is not what I signed up for. I signed up for glory. I signed up for the mansion in heaven. I signed up for easy living. Paul says, "No, no. I I want I I get rid of all the good things, everything I count as loss, everything in our lives that are good, there are good gifts from our father, right? We're, the word of God says that there are gifts from our, from the father of lights. But if we settle for the good things that we see on earth, then what happens is, is we fall short of the magnitude of blessing that comes from the giver, not just the gift. Can I get an amen to that? We fall short of that because he has more To give us. Today, we're going to be talking about a passage in the book of Mark where there's a specific contrast. There's a specific contrast between a group of people who said no to pain and suffering, they said no to complexity, and they said, We are going to find a way to live. According to the way that God wants us to live on our own ability. Because when we look at the law and we look at what God asks of us, we, cannot, we can't do it. So we're going to fit it into our mold. We're going to find a way to do it. We're going to say no to pain. But then we're going to look at another group. And particularly one individual, but who represents another group. Who is able to say Yes to the pain, yes, to their need for God, yes, to the weakness that they feel, yes, to the fact that they are incomplete without the person of Jesus Christ, not just the message, everybody, but the person of Jesus Christ. I have to say something really quick before, I'm going to pray, we're going to get into the message soon, but I got to say this, because sometimes, sometimes in, in the gospel of grace, exchange, life, community, we, a lot of us were, our, our hearts were filled. they burned with affection for God. When we found out that we were called righteous, when we found out that, that the part of us that was disconnected from God, our spirits, the essence of our being that could not please God, died. And that it died and was buried with Christ, but then we were raised a new life. And so we, now we have a new life, a new spirit. Spirit that is righteous and loved by God and is joined with God's spirit. And we rejoice over that. We rejoice in being children of God and it gives us warm feelings, <laughs> right? We get these warm feelings about it. But sometimes when we come across messages that are hard to receive, we say, well, that's not what I signed up for. I signed up for good feelings. That's why I'm here. <laughs> you know, I signed up to know that everything was going to be fine and God loves me as a child. He's going to take care of me. Well, yes, that is true, but it's not the whole truth. The other part of it is that we are learning to experience Jesus in suffering. As a community here at New Life, it's one of our values that we would experience Jesus in our sufferings as a community, but also as individuals. And that in that we receive a higher blessing that comes from just good gifts, but we receive the blessing of knowing the giver. So anyway, Lot said there, Let's pray, and then we'll jump into the service, uh, this message together. Uh, so, Heavenly Father, you know, um, I, I'm just so thankful today that it's not enough for me to share these words. It's not enough. Um, it, it's the foolishness of preaching, like your word says, that you would communicate your character and your person to us through preaching. And so let me just be a vehicle for that. Make yourself very present to us. Open up our ears to hear from you. Open up our hearts to the eyes of our hearts to actually see you so that we can know you in a new way today. I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So I want to talk to us again about saying yes to pain. And the passage that we're going to look at today is we're going to look at um Mark chapter two, verse 13 to 17. Now Mark chapter two, verse 13 to 17 is about, it's called the call of Levi. If you open up your Bible, even right now, you look at it, like usually the title on top of it is called the call of Levi. Not necessarily all about Levi. There's there's more going on, but I think the the initial, um, the initial redactors wanted to add that to it so that you understood what you were reading. But it's also repeated in all three of the synoptic gospels. Okay, here we go. Teaching time, are you guys ready? Okay, we're going to go to school for just a little bit. And I want to say something about that too, quickly, that when, when we do this, we're, if we take a step away from just sharing the story with you and go into a little bit depth of context with the, with the passage, what myself or any of the other elders are doing is we're enabling you and we're empowering you to be able to read the Bible for yourselves. And so sometimes, you know, we can kind of talk it down like, oh, no, I'm going to do some teaching time. But you know what? It's extremely valuable because we want you to experience the person of Jesus Christ, not just the message. Do you understand? You I mean the message is, is one thing? A lot of us have said, yes, to the message, but we want you to experience Jesus for yourself. So when I take a step back, and I say, okay, listen, we're going to teach guys. We're going to get into it a little bit. I want you to come along for the ride. So say, I'm coming along for the ride. I'm for okay, let's go. Okay, so Mark, so Mark chapter two, verse 13 to 17 is in the synoptic gospels. Synoptic gospels are Matthew Mark and Luke. They call them synoptic gospels because the prefix there in sin is a way of saying, is, is another, is, is the same prefix that we use in the word sync or syncopation. So it means that they work together. Um, a lot of commentators, a lot of scholars believe that Mark, the book of Mark, was most likely the first gospel that was written. And both Matthew and Luke got a hold of that one and then they added to that, to that one, what they learned from other sources, other reliable sources who were a part of journeying with Jesus during that time in the gospels. Okay. So, so it's important to, for us to understand that it's repeated also in Matthew chapter nine, verses nine to 13, and then in Luke chapter five, verses 27 to 32. And I'm going to go back a little bit, I think only really to Luke, just to kind of open up some things and help us to get a little bit, understand a little bit more about the one passage we're looking at, because Luke kind of gives a little more detail to some of those, to some of that. And it's important for us to understand too, that when we're looking at the Gospels, when we're looking at, especially the Synoptic Gospels, and you see maybe there's some different details here, different details there, what you're actually seeing is that the original writers may have had a specific point about the gospel that they wanted to get across to a specific audience. So you'll notice that the main truths and the main facts all line up, but there are little added details to them. And sometimes they're just to kind of add emphasis. So for example, Mark, John Mark, the guy who wrote this passage that we're looking at, John Mark traveled with Paul. You know that because he kind of, you know, the, um, the epistles talk about that. John, Mark, and Paul traveled together. They had a bit of a falling out. But then they got reunited again when Paul was in custody in Rome. And so John used to write down things that Paul said to distribute as letters. So he was sort of his penman, And he got the gospels, he got the narratives about the story of Jesus from Paul. And he most likely was doing this at the time in Rome and was probably connected with the Church in Rome, you know, in the first AD, and so he's shaping the gospels to talk to people in Rome who are under persecution from the Romans under Nero. You guys still tracking with me? Okay, so so you're going to get that vibe when we, when we when you read the book of Mark, he, he's he's always talking about how we endure suffering, and how suffering is part of being a follower of Jesus because even in the book of Mark, you see Jesus is one who suffers. His humanity is present. You know, um, his, his grief and his um, frustrations are present in the book of Mark. And you can see uh, how he would want to communicate that to the people of, to the church in Rome at the time. And there's three different groups that we're looking at primarily in the book of Mark, three different evil powers. So you're looking at demonic powers are present in the book of Mark. The Roman empire is present and religious leaders and Marcus just wants to show everybody who's reading that Jesus is bigger than all those three. He's bigger than the demonic powers. He's bigger than the Roman Empire. He's more powerful than the religious leaders at the time. One other thing that you're going to see, too, in the book of Mark is that he loves to focus on the rejected, the accused, and the outsiders, and those who are maligned in Jewish society, much like Levi, a tax collector who we're going to be introduced to in just a few few minutes. He loves to do that. He loves to show how Jesus is bypassing all the strappings of being a powerful, you know, real religious leader or, or, or greater than the government of, of Rome or, you know, he's, he's even more powerful than the demonic powers, but he's all those things, but he's, he's going and focusing on insignificant people. Jesus is coming into the theater right now and he's looking at me and he's like, yeah. And he goes, he goes straight over to Norm. <laughs> and he goes straight over to those who, are, who, who may not be in the spotlight at the moment. That's, that's what Mark always wants to show in, um, in his passages. Okay, so we jumped into that, but the other group we're going to look, we're going to look at two groups. We're going to look at the Pharisees, and we're going to look at the tax collectors. So let's take a look right now at Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And it goes like this. It says, he went out. So this is Jesus went out again beside the sea. And all the crowd was coming to him and he was teaching them. And he passed by. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him now jesus at at this point, okay, so we're just, Jesus at this point right now he's he's healed a bunch of people, he's healed a leper, he healed a paralytical they put through the roof he's he, he's he's cast out demons at this point, so his popularity is is up there he's gaining all this momentum of people following him and wanting to talk to him and 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 get hear to him. So he's teaching by the sea. As it says, he's out on a boat. He's speaking over the water. And that's the best way for people or a large group to be able to hear him. And I love how Mark is so, um, the gospel of Mark reads like a suspense story, like a suspenseful movie. It just moves from one scene to the next scene to the next scene. As soon as he's done teaching them, we get to the next scene where now he's walking, he's passing by and he sees Levi sitting at a tax booth and he says to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now we need to know something about taxes at this time and tax collectors. At this time, the Roman Empire is vast and is super expensive to keep going. And there's not really a middle class, okay? like how we entertain a middle class right now. There's not really that going on. Really, what we're seeing at this point is that we are seeing. That there is this massive power, and what they're doing is that they are taking all of the funds all of the, all the wealth that could be to you know in the whole empire to support the empire to support the upper class and anybody who wants in on that wealth, they have to you know you know get cozy with the folks that are on the top. Now these tax collectors are not being observed very well about how they handle the tax and obviously they're trying to get you know as much finances as they can because the poverty line is very near the poverty line is is just one step away so they're doing all they can to keep the finances they can and so these tax collectors are adding surcharges to the taxes so that they can make a little bit more off of the taxes that are coming in. And the Romans aren't really observing this. They just ask for a certain amount and they're getting it. But then on top of that, people are asking for more. And so the people at the time, the, the, the religious leaders, the Israelites at the time who were under oppression of Rome, they are really upset about this. They want nothing to do with these tax collectors. Some of these tax collectors are being, are actually chosen from among the people of Israel. And so, you know, Pharisees, Sadducees, all these groups are looking at them and they're like, you guys are traitors. You are traitors. You are betraying us by taking money from us for our oppressors. And so they are highly, highly hated. What you'll notice in this passage too, is you see tax collector and sinners, tax collectors and sinners. You've seen that all the time. Those two phrases are always combined. And it's a way of saying to the audience who's reading at the time that these guys were considered the low of the low. And you add sinners onto anything they do. These are the lowest of the low. Nobody likes them. But here we see Jesus, Lord of heaven and earth. He's, he's, he's healed all these people. He's getting all this fame. He could, he could take down the Roman Empire in one, one swift move. But he's here in human flesh, experiencing what it is to be human, experiencing the weakness that we experience. And he's walking, and he comes by, and he sees Levi. He sees the son of Alphaeus sitting at a tax booth. Now, he's probably sitting at a tax booth because he's taking a different kind of uh, tax. He's probably taking a, a, toll, uh, a toll tax for travel. So you can imagine you're being taxed for everything under the sun, right? Even when you're, where you're traveling, you're getting taxed for that. And he's sitting there and he's outwardly despised. Like people do not like these individuals. And Jesus sees him and he says, follow me. And he follows him. Goes up and, and follows Jesus. Now, we have to ask the question, you know, why would, why would he do that? Why would, he do, why would he choose to follow Jesus in this time? I would, I would speculate as much as many other commentators would that this individual, this Levi, first and foremost, his heart probably burned with the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him to say, I've got to say yes to this. He's probably already heard about this person of Jesus. He's probably already heard as, you know, where he is as a passerby, as a taking a toll tax. He's probably heard stories about Jesus as people were coming by. So he knows that Jesus is a big deal. So maybe that's why he said hi. Maybe that's why he said yes to him. But I think it's also true because he knows what it was to be rejected. And when someone so great and so loving, so powerful, so compassionate comes by and says, follow me. I think in that moment, he was somebody who said yes to the pain, yes to the despair, yes to the, the need for Jesus. So he was able to say yes to him and he went on his journey. You know what the contrast is with this is that, is that the Pharisees, those who knew about Jesus, those who knew the law, even Jesus says everything in the law, you know, at, um, you know, at the end of Luke, Jesus says like everything in the law and the prophets points to me. They had all the tools to see who Jesus was, but because they knew so much about Jesus, they couldn't get to the place where they could know him personally when they saw him. But somebody who's in so much despair, who's in the pit of rejection, who is even, quote, unquote, in his sin, taking surcharges above the tax that was already asked for so that he could fill his own pocket. Somebody like that could see Jesus come by and be like, oh, I am so tired of this life. I'm going in this guy's direction. I'm moving with him. I'm going to follow him. See, the dangers sometimes for us, we're so content to know about Jesus, but it's not enough. Sometimes we have experienced, and as most of us have, we experienced Jesus in our sin, in the midst of our dark places, in the places where we didn't think He would show up, in the places where we thought he would want nothing to do with us. He was passing by and saw you rejected, maligned, with your tape recorder going over and over again in your head, justifying things that you did wrong. He heard and, and saw your despair, and he said, He said, Marco, I want you to come. I want you to follow me. Marco said, yes. And he saw John. He said, John, I want you to follow me. John said, yes. Jesus saw me. And he said, Robin, I want you to follow me. And I said, yes. I want to give you a story about that. Now, I've told you a story before about, um, I think I've told you guys, or maybe I did a video on it. About how I was at Bible College, the place where you get to know about Jesus. Um, but but the other part of that story um, was, was was that when I was there, I actually came encounter. I came into. Um, I came to encounter the gospel of grace, and it was it was actually Pastor Rosser who came to EBC at the time. And he was speaking in the chapel. He was sharing about being crucified with Christ. And to me, it was like I had heard it for the first time. I mean, like, I had heard about it, right? Like, I was in Bible college, right? I'm there to learn about God. I was in Bible college. Yes, I had heard about it. Matter of fact, I'd been a believer for many years at this point. And I, I'd, like, I've heard the passage before, but for whatever reason, it was like I heard it for the first time, Galatians two twenty. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no, longer, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. And for whatever reason, it was like lightning. It was like, and I was just like, oh my gosh, I get that passage. You know, the other part of that story is, is that at that time I was, I like to say it, living in sin. At that point in time in my life in Bible college, I was in a relationship uh, with my girlfriend at the time, and we were playing that game. So many of us can remember, hopefully, I hope I'm not alone in this, but many of us can remember, you know, when you're in a relationship, sometimes you push the boundaries, you know, on in intimacy a little bit. You want to know how how far is too far. And our girlfriend and I were doing that back and forth, and here I am in Bible college, and I want to be a pastor, and I'm just feeling dirty about it. But I'm just saying no to it. I'm saying, no. Nope, I can fix this myself. Next time, it won't happen. I won't do this. I won't do that. And, you know, this won't happen again, and then... That was happening over and over again in our relationship. And I was just feeling so dirty. And I remember that that service in particular, when I came to that chapel service at Bible College, I was in a place of sin and sorrow, deep, godly sorrow. Like 2 Corinthians 7 talks about, I had godly grief that leads to repentance. I was so in despair. I was in a place where I like, I realized I cannot fix this on my own ability. And in that moment, that's how I received the gospel of grace. Sorry, did I say I was in Bible college? I, that, in that moment, that's when it struck me. I was like, bam, that's it. I couldn't receive it before. But in the spot that I was in, I could receive it. Let me tell you, I struggled with knowing whether or not I should be in Bible college, whether or not I should be a pastor. I was wafering, I was going back and forth and back and forth over and over again. After that moment, I was set. I'm like, I'm supposed to be in ministry. I'm supposed to be in ministry, that's it. I, I, I could receive it finally, the wavering stopped, the fear and the anxiety about it stopped. Let me tell you, that relationship ended. <laughs> and then right after that, that summer actually, only a few months later, I started an internship at um, at a church where I met my wife. And that was it. Like, it was like, like my whole life just changed from that moment onward. Went in a new direction. Listen, sometimes we are looking for ways to say, I know enough about Jesus to take control of the pain of the tape that's going on in my head. The sound of it. I, and, uh, and the reminders of how evil I am, so I'm going to work it on my own ability to overcome that. But let me tell you that the power of sin is the law. The power of sin, Romans talks about that, the power of sin is the law. We set up these, these new commandments for us to follow, these new traditions for us to follow, these new disciplines to follow, and really, we just need to accept that we had died with Jesus on that cross. And we now have new spirits that want to do good. We don't have to fight. But what we need to do is we need to lean into him and depend on him to express his life through us, as Paul, as had as talked about, you know, two weeks ago, to be strong in the Lord and let him express his life through us to, to overcome these temptations, to overcome the, the desires to go with what the flesh is saying about us and leading us into behaviors we don't want to do. So just like Levi, many of us were sitting at a tax tax booth. Jesus passed by and he called to us. And in our despair, in our sin, we were able to receive the truth that we could be loved, that there was something greater um, than the life that we were living in. All right, so let's keep reading. So Mark chapter 2, verse 15 says this. And as he reclined at a table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many who followed him. And the scribes and the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? This gets repeated three times. Tax collectors and sinners. These guys are evil. Why is he doing that? Well, you'll notice is that Jesus is very much at home with them. He, he, he's not afraid of them. Uh he's not looking for reasons to discount them. He he's gone to mingle with them and i love how luke chapter 5 verse 27 says this 27 verse 32 so this is the this is luke's version of this story luke adds and it was a great feast and it was a great think about a great feast right now think about a great feast right steak baked potatoes curry chicken curry chicken anybody um cauliflower (laughs) i just put cauliflower there for fun stir fry anybody love a good stir fry this is a great feast let's get a good picture here though let's let's step back for a second whose money is providing for matthew's home and great feast? I mean, don't the Pharisees have a reason to be so angry with Jesus? The Pharisees and the people, of Israel are looking at these tax collectors are like, you guys are just, you guys are terrible people for taking money from us. But here is Jesus going and eating taxpayers' money in their house. So you can see the Pharisees are like, how dare you mix it up with these tax collectors and sinners? Don't mess around with these people. Don't go and eat our money. And it says it was a great, it was, it was, they said, and there was many people. So was, there was other tax collectors, and his disciples were there, and everybody, like, like Matthew had enough money to feed a lot of people. But the Pharisees saw it differently. You see, the Pharisees are a very interesting group. I mean, we we love to dis- dis- distance ourselves from them. But the Pharisees actually fit, maybe not necessarily in theology, but in sort of in value and tradition to a lot of practices in evangelical, evangelical Christianity today. Like the Pharisees in total, really, what they were trying to do is that they were trying their best to honor the word of God that existed at the time and to walk purely in the world, but not of it. Sound familiar? So they're doing their best to do this. And so what they did is what one of the things that Jesus was really upset about them is that they put a fence around the law. They made it inaccessible to people because what they did is that they also had a tape in their own heads. That when you go to the law, when you go to the Torah, I'm talking about those first five books of the Bible and all the other laws that are added onto it. about 613 Jewish laws. When you look at them, and you try to live them out, they're all, they're, it's, it's very, very challenging. I mean, the law's only purpose really is to be a mirror to the people of Israel so that they could see that they could not do life without God. And not only that, but they proved it over and over again within their history that every time they tried to, that they would fail. And that they needed more than just their will to achieve it, the acceptance of God. And so instead of saying yes to pain, Pharisees was a group that said, there's too much godly sorrow in the law, so we're going to find ways to make it fit us so it doesn't be as challenging anymore. So they created additional traditions on top of the law, on top of the 613, and they went off and told people, you have to do these additional ones in order to be as pious as us. And they weren't necessarily looked down upon in their day and age. Like, people saw them and they thought, wow, they are really great, Right? I mean, you could look at myself and say, well, Robin's really great. He's got it all together. I mean, his kids are cute and his, his wife is awesome. And like, you know, like these guys got it together and they don't sin. Like we never see them sin. So maybe they never sin. You know, and so these guys are creating this, they're creating these traditions of practices to these disciplines to prove and show that they could follow along with the law because the law gave some details, but not a lot. So they had to add on to it. Like, Don't do anything on the Sabbath. Okay, well, these are the few things you don't do on the Sabbath, just so you know, (laughs) so you can figure it out for yourself. And because they were doing that, they made distance between the law and the people who were seeing them, and they were making it inaccessible to, to, to people. And in the same way, they were making themselves inaccessible to what the law was saying, that we needed a Savior, that we needed somebody to make us righteous, that we couldn't do it on our own ability, that we can't achieve the acceptance of God. It has to be a gift. God's acceptance has to be a gift. We couldn't achieve it on our own ability. So here are these Pharisees, you know, with all their trappings and they're seeing everything that's going on with Rome and everything is happening to the people, and they're doing their best to stay friendly with Rome, but they're coming down hard on anybody, you know, who's, who's rubbing shoulders with them. And they're so hypocritical in the midst of this. And unfortunately, at this time, they can see Levi, and they can see the text collectors, but they don't really see them. You see, Jesus actually sees them. He sees what their need is. You see, the conflict is, is that sometimes for us, we can act and we can behave like the Pharisees, in this way, because Levi opened his house. He had a great feast. He put a seat of honor at the table for Jesus. This was a very common Jewish practice that you would, if there's somebody you wanted to honor, you would have them over to your house, and you would feed them lots of food, and you would give them the seat of honor at the house. Not the sticky seat that the booster seat used to be on, where all the apple juice and like jello is kind of stuck to, and if you lift it up, there's still kinds of little pieces of macaroni underneath. Not that chair. No, Like the seat of like the best chair. Like they, maybe they pull up the lazy boy and they just hand food to you. I don't know. Anyway, Levi is so overwhelmed that he's been called, so overwhelmed that he's been accepted, so he clears all his schedule and he invites Jesus and he buys all this food and he gives him the seat of honor. Sometimes for us. We're going through stuff and we're saying, no, I, you know, I'm going, to say, I'm going to say no to accepting uh, the pain. I'm going to find a way to get in and above that. And what we're really doing is that we are sitting down in our own, like, just say the great feast is your soul. You're sitting down at the, at the great feast of your soul and at the head table, the seat of honor, as whomever or whatever you believe will give you satisfaction other than Jesus. Whatever you need there to cope with the weaknesses you feel, the the pain that you feel, the the, the tape recording that's going over and over again in your mind about how dirty and awful you are. You've put something else there. It could be anything. Uh, You could could have, I don't know, you have Justin Bieber sitting down in that chair and be like, man, Justin Bieber's music is the best. It makes me feel good about myself. And it's like, it's like, you know, and I feel wanted when I listen to it. Like, like whatever, I'm just creating something. But you can put anything in that seat. If you put anything, any good gift that God has given in that seat other than Jesus, then you've come short of the full value of what God wants to give us. And this is himself. And that is what Levi experienced. Jesus came to sit down in his house, and we're going to see what Jesus says to him, to the Pharisees in response. So Mark chapter two, verse 17 says this, and when Jesus heard it, okay, so this is Jesus responding to what the Pharisees said. He said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And these are very, very strong words. Now, I say strong for a particular reason, because the King James version says this, it says, those who are strong have no need of a physician, but those who are weak, not those who are well and sick. Now, you could translate well into strong if you want, but Jesus is actually making a very important point because up until this point, everyone's like, well, he's a great healer. He's casting out demons. He's healing people sick. He's great. We got to follow him. He's awesome for this reason because he's a healer. But Jesus turns it on their heads. He says, I'm not really just after those who are actually physically weak because that's that's not the context. Levi is not physically sick. He's talking about somebody who's spiritually sick. He's talking about somebody who has deep longing and pain in their soul, a godly sorrow that's calling out for repentance, calling out to be accepted by God, is calling out to be known by God. That's what he's talking about. That's the context. And he turns on his head and he says, those who are righteous, there's no quotations there, but that's what he's talking about. Those who are righteous in their own minds. Those who are content to know about Jesus, but not know him in their, in their suffering. Those who are content to know about the goodness of God. who are content to know that they're children of Jesus, children of God. Those who are content to know about him. Those who have accepted the title of being a slave of righteousness but they have not accepted the calling. You may have accepted the title of righteous, but you may not have accepted the calling. The calling is different. The calling says, I abandon being righteous on my own ability. And being righteous, being a slave of righteousness, means it's something that I live out every day. That every day when this tape is flipped. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah, I'm bad. Yeah, 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 I'm Yeah, I'm wounded. I'll never be loved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hold on a second. I choose today to believe that I'm a slave of righteousness and I am a child of God. I choose today, even even despite this being in the background, I choose today to believe what Jesus said about me. Every time we take that step of faith and we wait on him in this way, Jesus empowers us to push past the noise. And he lives in and through us to make the most of today. And you know what? Next day, it's going to be the same thing. But then again, we stop and we listen to him. We receive what he says about us and we go forward in his strength. You know, I love how that song was just saying, you know, "When when I am weak, I am strong. When I am weak, I am strong. When I am, when I am in need of dependence on him, that is when I'm actually strong. The moment that I say, you know what, I might have everything together in this moment, everything might be well, but if I start pretending like I need, like anything else is going to provide for me, anything else is, I'm, I'm alive for any other reason other than Jesus, then I'm lost. If I consider anything else of worth other than him, then I'm totally lost. I'm doing it on my own strength or I'm doing it based on the good gifts that I have or what people say about me that's good or not. Rather, he wants us to be empowered to push through the noise to continue to trust in him. So those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. So I've come to call, I've not, so I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Those who are know that they are in need. Those who know that they're depending on, They need to get to depend on Jesus to make it through. Those are the ones. And you see, the thing is, is that Jesus is for us. If anything about this passage, we can see that even in our weaknesses and the things that we're suffering through, even if God has even purposed pain and suffering in our lives, and we need to trust him in the moment, we can understand this, that Jesus is for us and he sees us just like how he's responding to Levi. You know, um, Isaiah 61 verse 1 says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, and he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Other translations say to the poor in spirit. In other words, those who have a deep longing, they have godly sorrow, they they know that they need Jesus. He brings good news to them. People like Levi, to tax collectors and sinners, to people who are sitting in their sin while Jesus is passing by. He's calling out to them and he says, he's he's been, he's, he being God has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. Psalm chapter 34, verse 18 says this, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the crushed in spirit. Those who are overwhelmed with life's expectations and circumstances, he is near to them and he saves them. Uh, in conclusion, I want to share this really quickly. <clears throat> in conclusion, uh, I was sitting in the hospital with uh, with Naomi probably about two, or I guess maybe about a month ago. So this is shortly after she was diagnosed. So I was sitting in the hospital and I was, I was sitting at her bedside. And this was here actually because she liked to listen to it in the hospital. So we brought that and that was kind of cute. Um, so we were sitting there and... The, uh, you know, the little, like the, there's so much noise going on. There's all kinds of things beeping and computers and stuff like that. And, and, and trying to get her to sleep. And she's kind of sleeping Then she kind of goes out. And then I just realized in that moment, I'm totally alone. And I just said to Jesus, I said, you know, I don't want this. I don't want what this is going to mean for our family. I don't want what's going to mean for our finances. I don't want what it means, uh, for the stress on us. And it just doesn't seem fair. And Jesus told me, "I have something for you. I have something for Naomi." He said, "You, do you want it?" I thought to myself. I said, kind of no. (laughs) (laughs) I don't kind of really want it." But then I just at this. And then Jesus told me, he's like, but do you want to do this with me? And I said, I don't want to be anywhere where you're not. Whatever you call me to, if this is you, then I want it. I don't want to be anywhere where you're not. I just want you. That's a really Christian thing for me to say. But I said it with so much confidence, because when I said it, I just felt oh the peace. Oh man, the peace I felt in that moment. Uh, So much peace, I was like, okay, I can go to sleep now. I couldn't sleep before. I said, I can go to sleep. It's just a touch of grace in a dark moment, is a reminder that he sees the brokenhearted. And I don't say it to say that I'm I'm more righteous or anything like that. I I hope, if anything, it paints a picture for you sometimes of the hopelessness that you experience and that you know that we're all in this together. But in those moments, when we say yes to the pain, those are the moments where we get to know him. We get to know his presence. We get to know his peace. We get to know his character and his love towards us. And, um, Oh, I remember this too. You know, even as I was trying to go to sleep, you know, Jesus said, all, all that I have is yours, like the older brother, you know, and the prodigal son, you know, everything I have is yours. You're not going to be lacking anything. All that I have is yours. And Jesus whispers the same thing to us in our lack and our need in our situations. Yeah, it's tough, but all that the father has for us is ours. And he is more than willing to provide for us. So um, in a close, again, let's not be afraid to say yes to the pain and the things that we're experiencing. It's not enough for us to try and be strong in our own ability. And saying yes to the pain doesn't mean you're a victim. It just means that you are choosing to be victorious. You are choosing to allow his life in you, his his victorious life in you to be expressed through a dark scenario. Rather than you trying to solve it on your own ability and creating a bunch of traditions and disciplines to cope because we know that in the end, it's just overwhelming and stressful. It's the sweat of your brow. It's just a curse again. But what he wants to offer to us is life, life abundant. So let me pray for us now as we close our service. Uh, Lord Jesus, so thankful for your faithfulness to us. Uh, thankful for this community. Thankful that um, uh, there's not enough for me to even share that story but you have expressed your faithfulness to me through this community. And that's awesome. But not only to, my, to me, but to my family as well. And so that's just, that's great. So we just praise you for that, Jesus. And we know that you, you can, you, as you do that for me, you'll do that for others. And you already have. So we praise your goodness. We honor you today. And I pray that you would give us all a unique sense of a, that great confidence that we can have in you. Give us that passion. Give us that feeling, you know. And even more than a feeling, help us to see you and know you in the midst of the pain that we're experiencing right now. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, everyone, thank you so much. Uh, again, uh, my name is Robin. And, uh, uh, and and if there's anything in this passage uh, that, or anything we covered in this message today, whether you're in the service or you're watching us online, if there's anything you had questions about and you wanted to ask some more questions about it, um, like, what is a cassette tape and how does it work? And <laughs> does it make sense to me? And can you please explain that? Um, I'll just send you a YouTube link, I guess. Um, but if you have any questions, I mean, feel free to contact me at robin at newlifekw.ca. And I'd just love to respond to that and uh, make, our, you know, make myself available to respond to anything that's said in the service. But um, if you're in the service and you want to talk about it too, I'm here as well. So we'd love to do that. Thank you so much for everyone who's joined us online. Have a great Sunday morning. Everyone who's in person, thank you so much for for, uh, staying with us through the service. Make sure to grab your kids. And and if you have your kids in the children's ministry, and make sure to come back into the theater. We're going to exit through the side doors here. But again, thanks so much, everyone, for joining us. And have a great Sunday morning.
0: You've been listening to the New Life Fellowship podcast. Thanks for joining us. If you would like to donate, donate at newlifekw.ca. Your giving is highly valued and appreciated. You are loved. Take care.